Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Thomas Goodroad. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. In our Equipping the Saints program, we take a look at walking the Christian walk. We know that we are saved by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We are free but we are not free to do anything that we want or live as we please. In one sense, we exchange a slavery to sin for a free and willing slavery to Christ. We've been working our way through the epistle to the Ephesians as we examine this new life that we have in Christ. This is episode 4, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians 4. 25 to 32. That's the section that we're going to look at, although some commentaries take this section into the first two verses of chapter 5. We'll see how far we get today. In our uh, first episode, we looked a little bit earlier at Ephesians 4, and the uh, phrase, equipping the saints, that flows from those verses In episode 2, we looked at Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, laying the foundation, the distinction between justification and sanctification. In our last episode, episode 3, we looked at this new life that God gives us as we examined Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. And so today, we're going to begin at verse 25 of Ephesians 4. Vicar, take it away. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Oh, what a marvelous section of Scripture. This uh, does come up, I want to say it's about Trinity 13 or 14. It's the epistle reading in the one-year series. And so you may have uh, heard us in one of our sister programs, Proclaiming the One, talk briefly about these words, but we uh, certainly didn't have the opportunity to dig deep into the words, the grammar, the uh, context where this falls. Uh, Pastor, in, uh, in our last program, when we looked at verses 17 through 24 of Ephesians 4, we, uh, we had a marvelous beginning with this new life that we have in Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm just I'm looking at the uh, Concordia Commentary on Ephesians from Thomas Winger. It's a marvelous, marvelous volume, by the way. But uh, at verse 25, he makes this comment. Put another way, Paul moves from the image of God regained in baptism as a passive state of righteousness, verses 20 to 24 of chapter 4, 
to the image of God as active righteousness. Chapter 4, 25 through 5, 2. One who has been recreated to be like God will necessarily act like God. This section may be seen, therefore, as the image of God in action. And that's from page 519 of the uh, Concordia Commentary Series, Ephesians, by Thomas Winger. What do you think about that statement as we uh, head into this section beginning in verse 25? I I think that, uh, yes, he's on the right track, and uh, what he says is probably true. And I, I'd point out and add just a little bit more even in saying, you see then this... Um, move then from the relationship between God and man, which is what we talked about in the last time. God has declared us righteous. He has forgiven us. He's brought us into his side, if you will. Uh, And now also when we're talking about how we act as God in our world, is what he said, Winger, um, how that then also shifts to our neighbor, which is the, the marvelous thing about good works is that God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. Uh, and thereby, that's the people that we care for. And you see Paul talk this way in the beginning of this and at the end of it when he's talking about one another, the neighbor, the people around you. That's the focus then of the good works that you do. And we uh, we hear that in the uh, uh, most common of the post-communion prayers where we pray that this sacrament would strengthen our love toward God and our love toward those around us. We see this in the... Uh, division, the human division, of course, but the division we make in the two tables of the law, the first three commandments, our relationship with God, uh, commandments four through 10, our relationship with one another. And so we see this played out in uh, in scripture. We see this played out in uh, Lutheran theology, in the liturgy, and we see this played out very, very clearly here in God's Word, Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. Vicar, when we get the word, therefore, what does that mean? Whenever you see the word, therefore, in Scripture. Well, it means that we should uh, look at everything that has just been said and take all of that into account and view what is about to come in light of everything that was just said. Um, So, you know... He is, uh, in, the, in the previous section that we talked about in the previous episode, he's, he's going through all of these, these sins and everything. And, but that's not the way you learned in Christ, as he says in, in verse 20. Uh, so now, therefore, what you have actually been taught in Christ is putting away falsehood, speaking the truth with your neighbor, um, that you are members one of another. Uh, you can be angry, do not sin, so on and so forth. Um, so he's saying keep all of these things in mind when I'm telling you this. Yeah, very good. In uh, verses 17 to 24, we talked about the Christian walk, and uh, we, made, uh, we made a lot out of that term, walk, and how this is a, a specific Greek term that makes us think of walking under the authority of a teacher. Once you had sin, death, and the devil as your teacher, now you have Jesus as your teacher. Um, That's the way you used to be, but not anymore. And so we are in a state of continually putting off the old self and putting on the new self. So in this state of continually putting off the old self and putting on the new self, which we would call repentance, 
in this state. Um, therefore, now we're going to have something to build upon that. Pastor, it says, therefore, and I'm reading out of the ESV, as we always do with our English translation here on uh, equipping the saints. Therefore, having put away falsehood, and that's, that's a clear reference to verse 22, putting off the old self. Um, Winger says that the Greek construction there means that we can and probably should translate this, therefore, since you have put away falsehood. And um, that uh, I think I think that does have a um, uh, extra flavor. Uh, let's see. He says that rather as an aorist participle, it refers back to that foundational act that has changed them into people who, by their new nature, would now only speak truth. Uh, therefore, since you have put off falsehood brackets in your baptism speak the truth this is not in your own effort but in the change that god first worked that's what he's trying to emphasize here that it's not like okay this happened in the past and now you need to make a decision to do this that um since you did this this is just how you are uh your thoughts and comments and reaction to that yeah i i think um that that what he's saying again there is correct in the the sense of the construction with that particular uh, middle participle that we have there with that word putting off. Uh, I think that's a really good way to interpret it. And then I think uh, it's worth pointing out um, the result then, since you've put off falsehood, the thing that uh, is going to happen now is actually also going back to the Old Testament, as Paul so often does. He's quoting here Zechariah 8.16, where it says, um, let's see, Speak the truth to one another. Uh, and so he, again, is driving you back to the, the real source and foundation for all of our Christian teaching, which is from the Old Testament where God's Word is revealed. Uh, and so I think that's really unique here as well. Paul's not starting something new, as so many people say. He's not changing the foundation of our faith, but rather he's finding its fulfillment in what Jesus has done and thereby also in how we live our lives as a result. You know, I've, I've read quite a few sermons from the... Uh, <clears throat> church fathers, and I'm often amazed how their sermons are like a mosaic of Bible passages that are just strung together. And if you know your scripture, you know that this is coming from the Word of God. And if you don't know your scripture, uh, it's still powerful uh, because of the way this is woven together. And this section here that we're looking at, Ephesians 4, 25 to 32, is one of those types of mosaics where we have all of this scripture coming together. Now, before we get to our first break, Pastor, I want to ask about that word, truth. Because uh, you mentioned in our last segment that when we see this word truth, this is not merely, you know, like an ethical kind of a thing where, where I should speak the truth to you and you should speak the truth to me and our human relationships are better because of it. That's absolutely true. But when we see this word truth here, it has uh, a bigger, a higher, a um, um, doctrine type connotation. Uh, you want to refresh our memory, what you talked about, about with regard to that? 
Yeah, uh, if you look, uh, you know, above this a little bit, you'll see where uh, Paul has stated in verse 21, uh, kind of as a, a, a real big point here, that um, the truth is actually in Jesus. Um, the truth is the reality of Jesus, and everything that is truth can only be found in Jesus. And Jesus himself says this in John's Gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, we use that verse so often that I think we just kind of gloss over what it means, but I think that that's the reality that we need to remember. The real truth um, that matters in our particular world is not found in science. It's not found in history, as much as I like history. It's not found in uh, philosophy or opinion or politics. The truth is found only in Jesus, and that's why that needs to be the center of everything that we preach and teach, believe, and confess, um, because uh, in Christ is our only hope in this world. So we have a reference to the Old Testament. We have uh, building upon verses 17 to 24 very, very clearly. And right out of the gates, an admonition to speak the truth. Not only ethically being a truthful kind of a person, but speaking the truth of God's word, true doctrine, making the good confession. This is Equipping the Saints. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. With our Equipping the Saints program, we're diving deep into Scripture and we're examining the new life that we have been given in Christ Jesus. What it is, where does it come from, and what does it look like? Today we're looking at Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. In our uh, first segment, we looked in uh, detail at the preceding verses, 17 through 24, kind of a recap. And uh, then we talked about um, putting away falsehood and speaking the truth. Not only an ethical kind of a thing here where we are truthful people, but speaking the truth which is Christ and his word, pure doctrine. Verse 26, Pastor, uh, and uh, can we can we make a can we make a connection? You know, you made the connection to the second table of the law and how we treat our neighbor. Can we make a connection here in verse twenty-five to the eighth commandment? To, to verse twenty-five. Yes, um, I think we speak can speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We're we're going to get more commandments as we go. I, I, know that. I think the entire second table is where we're we're ultimately going, and so this is a definitely a part of it is to tell the truth to your neighbor. Um, so I wouldn't throw that out. Okay, verse twenty-six: Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now again. This, this seems to be like really good ethical advice, doesn't it? Uh, you don't want your anger to fester inside of you. Um, 
we've heard from psychologists uh, for years that uh, anger turned inward is depression and anger turned outward is rage. Did you hear that? Did you learn that when you were in uh, your uh, psycho whatever classes, Vicar? <laughs> uh, yeah, various different ways, but essentially, yes. Yes, okay. So getting rid of anger uh, in a... Uh, healthy way. We hear a lot of this in society here. That's that's certainly, there's a lot of merit to that kind of talk. Is that all we're talking about here, Pastor? Um, well, I'd say, again, in this particular case, there's always more. And what happens here is that St. Paul is actually quoting, again, from the Old Testament. He's quoting Psalm number 4. And I think with a particular uh, verse like this that's being quoted, it's not just that part of Psalm 4 that he's talking about, but instead it's the entire thing of Psalm 4, uh, where how long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Um, and he's talking about how his life is going in the midst of all this distress and challenges. Uh, and in the middle of that, the, the very, almost the very middle of the psalm is where it quotes, be angry and do not sin. Uh, and so I think Paul is bringing to mind this entire psalm. And I think then that that is the Christian life again, and he's teaching it again from the Old Testament, saying, um, you know, this is the reality for you. I think it's interesting, too, uh, that the uh, be angry part is a uh, present uh, passive imperative, while the do not sin is a present active imperative. I think that there's something that you could probably make from that as well uh, in the way who's doing the verbs here. Uh, You know, when you're angry, it's usually... (laughs) something acting on you that makes you angry or frustrated, uh, and yet the uh, Christian, from within them, uh, a new person alive in Christ, are the ones who are doing the active part of seeking not to sin in their anger. I'm glad you uh, connected this to Psalm 4. There are some people that would say that by briefly mentioning Psalm 4 in this mosaic way that uh, the entire psalm would be brought to mind. And uh, I think that's true. That happens to me a lot when you or Vicar quote uh, a snippet of scripture, immediately my mind explodes to the context or the bigger portion of that. Uh, For God so loved the, you know, you you just kind of fill in the blank that way. This uh, a portion of Psalm 4, we don't use it much at Good Shepherd. Many people are uh, probably much, much more familiar with it than I. But uh, the uh, Compline service, the service at the end of the day, utilizes Psalm 4 in its liturgy. And uh, in, um, in Psalm 4, we have, uh, in peace altogether, I will lie down and sleep. And that's why it's for the Compline service. You alone, O Yahweh, cause me to dwell securely. The only way we can dwell securely in the Lord God himself is through the peace that he gives, which is the forgiveness of sins. And so here here again, we're, we're striving for reconciliation with our brother or sister in Christ with that same reconciliation we have received passively from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's a, uh, uh, a great, great connection there. Um, Pastor, uh, there are a lot of people that would point to passages like this in Scripture and use this as a proof text for righteous anger. 
that uh, in your anger do not sin. Uh, be angry and do not sin. And uh, that there is such a thing as righteous anger, but uh, it's really, really difficult for human beings. And so this becomes kind of a proof text that righteous anger does exist. What do you think about that? I, I, I've heard it used that way. I, I'm not sure that I think that you can use this as a proof text that you can have righteous anger. I think God can have righteous anger. Uh, but I think the difference in the passive and the active voices here kind of... Uh, push that aside. And so the thing that's making you angry, that's uh, the, the verb is in the passive, meaning um, you are being made angry. There's someone else doing the verb to you. Uh, and your response then is the uh, do not sin part, which comes out of that. And I know that that's a little bit tough because they're both in the imperative command sense. Um, but I think that that can be sort of brought out here a little bit. And so um, I think as Christians, we need to always be repenting and uh, to uh, not worry about this righteous anger thing and not use that as a justification for sinning uh, or uh, throwing someone under the bus or anything like that. And I think that's really a key thing here. Yeah, righteous, righteous anger uh, plays really well in Hollywood. Uh, every Charles Bronson movie ever made is built on the idea of righteous anger. Or Kill Bill. Yeah, that, that same uh, little more modern reference there. Um, and I, I want that righteous anger part to be true. I do. Because I am a self-justifier. And I want to self-justify my sinful behavior, and I want to call it righteous anger. Um, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, and the hearers today can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, there is no reference in the Bible to a human being being righteously angry. There are several references to God, as you mentioned, Pastor, being righteously angry, angry but there is no mention of a human being being righteous in their anger. And uh, I, I stand to be corrected on that. But um, for me, uh, I want it to be true because I want to justify my sin. Ver, uh, Vicar, in verse 16, some people would say that this is a reference to the fifth commandment. Now, the fifth commandment is you shall not murder. What does being angry have to do with the fifth commandment? Uh, just to clarify real quick, you meant verse 26? Yes, verse 26. Okay. What did I say? Uh, 16. Yeah, I'm sorry. Verse okay. 26. All right. Um, anger um, regarding the, the fifth commandment, you said. What is, what is the, the link there? Yeah. Well, um, of course, we know that if you break one commandment, you have really broken all of the commandments. Uh, Christ has said, I think it's in the book of Matthew, that at least, um, you know, if you hate your brother in your heart, then you have murdered him. So if you're angry at someone else, I mean, that, that's really the same thing as murdering them. It's just in your heart. It may not be physical, but regardless, that's, uh, that's still the commandment that you're breaking whenever you're hating someone else in your heart, wishing them some kind of harm or that they just at least wouldn't be in your way all the time. Amen. Amen. Um, and again, we're all good at that. We, uh, we want to pretend that just by harboring evil, wicked, angry, hateful feelings inside of us that we're not sinning because we haven't acted on it or lashed out. But we sin in thought, word, and deed. And um, uh, verse 27, Pastor, 
goes on and says, and give no opportunity to the devil. What is What opportunity are we giving to the devil when we let our anger carry us away? Well, um, it, it kind of, in a sense, if we're going to take the entirety of the argument, even before this particular episode has started, uh, what it's doing is it's putting Satan back in the driver's seat of your life again. It's returning to uh, being under the authority of the prince of the power of the air, uh, rather than letting Christ be the driver who says, uh, be merciful, have compassion, love as I have loved you, all of these things. And so therein lies the issue is that when you are angry and you act on it and you don't actually deal with it um, in a Christian manner that you are putting Satan in the driver's seat. You know, I I almost looked at verse 27 as kind of a throwaway verse uh, because it's really short and it's a fragment of a sentence. But uh, Winger, in his commentary on page 524, has this to say. I want to get your reaction. In a context which is spoken of putting off the old man, Adam, and being recreated in the image of God by taking on the new man, Christ. The reference to the devil is an appropriate further reminder of Eden. Paul's meaning is, let not Eden be played out again in your life, or be with Christ in the wilderness as he defeated the devil rather than with Adam who succumbed to him in Eden. What do you think about that connection? Well, I think it's true, and I think that that's the reality. I think um, that's how Satan is always operating. He always is trying to uh, curl us back under his authority and power to get us to trust in some other thing than Christ, and that's the reality. And when we do, uh, then we're not really serving the people around us, and we're not actually living out that Christian life. And so it is something that we need to be very disciplined and careful about, and we need to make sure that we are seeking to act as Christians to the very best of our ability and repenting and confessing where we fall short, um, that uh, Christ may remain our Lord and Master, and that we might not uh, fall back into the way things were before. You know, I, I oftentimes when I'm when I'm reading the scriptures and and see the reference to the devil, um, I think about the unholy Trinity, the devil, the world, and its and my own sinful flesh, and how these three enemies are constantly tempting me to sin. Rarely do I make that connection back to the Garden of Eden and how Satan worked with Eve and then Adam, or do I make the connection to the second. Adam and how Jesus overcame the temptation of Satan in the wilderness by the power of his word. Do you think it's possible that as preachers, we don't make that connection for our hearers enough? I'm sure we don't. Um, And uh, I think that that's just a result of our own sinfulness that we, uh, um, (laughs) even as preachers, we uh, fall guilty and fall short. Uh, of uh, putting everything together the way it ought to be. And I don't think there's ever been a perfect sermon preached by a a pastor, and I don't think there ever will be. Um, So maybe we should just let us steal from Jesus. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I I think that's a good wake-up call for me to be more mindful of that in my preaching. This is Equipping the Saints. We're looking at Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA 
LP, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We are examining as we study the new life that we have been given through the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus. We're studying Ephesians 4, verses 25 through 32. Uh, this is episode 4. In episode 3, we looked at the preceding verses, uh, Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. You might want to check that out uh, as we lay the foundation for this particular section. We have uh, worked our way through verse 27, and we want to pick up on verse 28. Verse 28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Um, boy, I don't know that I can read that without thinking of the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not steal. Uh, Vicar, going to put you on the spot. Uh, what does this mean? What does Luther teach us? Uh, the seventh commandment, you shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve his possessions and income. Okay. Um, you know, I think Luther might have had this verse in mind as he uh, wrote that particular meaning, and uh, the uh, catechism meanings all flow beautifully. They're dripping with the, uh, with the Holy Scripture. Pastor, again, uh, verse 28 seems to be good common sense. Uh, you know, you don't want to get in trouble with your family members, so you don't, uh, you don't steal that 20 out of Dad's billfold when he's not looking. You don't want to get in trouble with the law, so um, you you don't want to steal that candy bar or that pack of golf balls at uh, Walmart because surely you'll get caught, and that'll be an embarrassing situation. Uh, you don't want to cheat on your income taxes because if you get caught, you'll be on the front page of the newspaper. Again, uh, is this merely an ethical kind of a thing? Um, the, and I don't want to downplay the ethical part. This is this is very important. But uh, is there more to it than that? It's still um, teaching the Christian life, and it's still using, in a sense, the Old Testament. Because if you notice what we've done, we've looked at the fifth commandment and your anger. We've looked at the seventh commandment and your uh, theft. Uh, we're going to talk about the eighth commandment and gossiping. Uh, and before you even steal something, the ninth and tenth commandment have already come into play. The very reason that you take it is because you wanted it, <laughs> uh, which is uh, this coveting. And just in case you're thinking, okay, well, where's the sixth commandment, chapter five? is really going to delve into that in much greater detail because I think the Sixth Commandment back then was just as big an issue as it is now, especially in that pagan world, just like the pagan world that we are currently living in. And so I think, uh, again, Paul is here laying out what the Christian life looks like using the Ten Commandments as the um, lattice on which this uh, entire idea can be built. And that's why in confirmation class, uh, you need to make sure you learn those Ten Commandments and uh, not just what they prohibit, but also also then what they uh, ought to instill in the way that you act and live with one another. In uh, 
reminding us of the seventh commandment here, you know, back in the old way, back in the olden days, in your former self, uh, you were consumed by the fact that it's a dog-eat-dog world. And you got to get ahead at in any way, shape, or form. And you don't care who you hurt. You don't care who you stepped on. You don't care who you took things from. But now in this new life, with Christ as your teacher, you don't see your brother or sister <coughs> as uh, a stepping stone for you to achieve something higher. You see them truly as your brother and sister, and you care for them. You've been changed. Your heart has been changed from the inside out. And so instead of stealing from your neighbor, instead of cheating your boss, uh, work with your own hands. Do an honest day's work. Why? Not merely to provide for yourself, but to be able to share with those who are in need. Um, I think all of us need that constant reminder that God gives and gives and gives and gives and gives so that we not only can take care of ourselves, not so that we can build bigger barns, but so that we in our blessings can share with others. Pastor? Yeah, Jesus himself says it. Uh, you know, you said the barns there, um, you fool, tonight uh, your soul will be taken from you, and tomorrow the stuff you have, whose will it belong to? Uh, you know, that's a really bad way of quoting it, but it's the reality, and I think that we need to see the people around us as people who need our care and compassion, uh, and maybe if we're doing that, they also will see us as people who need care and compassion, uh, and then, um, you know, that, that's the Christian life. That's what it ought to be, and that's the way uh, it had been um, in the very beginning. When someone is in need, you know, they were cared for. When, uh, you know, I talked earlier about how uh, this is kind of a mosaic here with with Paul, and uh, he's uh, reaching it. We've already been in the book of Deuteronomy a couple of times, uh, Zechariah, uh, Psalms. Um, when I hear this, I'm reminded of the numerous places in the Old Testament where the nation of Israel is told to care for the widow, to care for the orphan, to not uh, harvest Every grain, let some behind, because there are people that are in need that can come and glean. Um, am I stretching there, Pastor, or is Paul in, uh, in you know, maybe kind of a roundabout way, emphasizing the fact that the Christian church is the new Israel, and these things that God encouraged the children of Israel to do in the Old Testament, we do, only we do it more and we do it better and we do it flowing from the love of Christ. Am I, am I stretching that? Well, I think that that's what Paul would like to see happen in an ideal world, and I, I think you know that's what Christians ought to do. Um, I think the same challenge, though, that the ancient Israelites faced, we do as well, where they constantly were falling short and failing and caring more about themselves than others. Uh, we do that exact same thing, and that's why we constantly need to hear the Word and be repented of our sins and uh, trust more in our Lord Jesus Christ and His mercy. Uh, verse 29, Vicar, do you want to get that fresh in our brain? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Pastor, this uh, corrupting talk, um, I think this is a little bit different than the, uh, the falsehood 
that we were talking about in verse 25. Um, this corrupting talk that that makes me think of something, you know, um, where where one bad apple corrupts the whole bushel, where one moldy blueberry before long the whole container of blueberries is mush um corrosive um talk that is uh caustic is uh does uh, does the greek lend itself to that with regard to that particular word yeah i think in fact that that's uh more clearly what the word means the word is sapros uh which which means rotten or worthless and i think that that rotten idea is really a, a key way of thinking about it because uh rottenness spreads um you know even in our own bodies if you have a a part that is dead uh you have to cut it off and throw it away because that gangrene will spread um this is totally unrelated but there's a really interesting documentary about the death of Louis the 14th the sun king uh where he slowly died from gangrene uh and you see that that the doctors once they realize that it's gangrene there's nothing they can do to save him they can't um stop it from spreading unless they were to cut it entirely off. And um, uh, that's the same thing here with our mouth. Oftentimes, uh, the things that they say are worthless or rotten, and uh, it spreads and causes pain and difficulties everywhere. You know, and that uh, we get that in the book of James, too, where sometimes words ill-spoken are like a forest fire. You know, one tiny little spark sets the whole thing ablaze. James four seven. Yeah. Yes, and I think that's I think that's a great reminder here. We're not just talking about something that's false, but how oftentimes the false things that are said do so much damage once they're out. Vicar. Uh, to contrast that, to contrast all the the negative examples of, of what can happen when we do use corrupting talk, uh, he says only such things as is good for building up. I saw an example the other day, a positive example. Someone on Twitter, his wife had died. He was a widower, and he had three kids. Um, so when he started dating someone new, then he brought them around their kids, and all of a sudden his kids started treating him a lot better, and they were respectful and nice and everything, and he didn't know what was going on until one day he uh, heard his girlfriend talking to his kids, and they didn't know he was listening. And she was talking about, wow, he's just such a great guy. You know, he provides for us, and he does so many wonderful – and he, she was just telling them how great their dad is. And that was making his kids treat him so much better. That's the kind of positive example that we, that we can have, the positive influence, building other people up. That's, that's what we should be doing. That's what Paul is telling us to do here. Yes, it's not, it's not only putting the best construction on things, but it is actually building people up with our words and we have in this world of social media uh, it is far easier to tear someone down with corrupting talk than it is to build someone up um, this uh, that it may give grace to those who hear pastor it seems once again that we have this the the reason or the motive is that God is at work through our positive talk to take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, am I reading that right? Yeah, I think that's correct. The, uh, the other part that I want to talk about, you're the, you're the revelation dude here. Um, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, 
Remember in this uh, mosaic thing that I've been rambling on about all the way? Uh, as I hear that, I can't help but think about the uh, early verses in Revelation where we have this two-edged sword coming out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is that a reference to with regard to that sword coming out, and does that have any bearing or connection uh, to, to what the Christian should think when they think of words coming out of their own mouth? Well, uh, that's a reference to um, the the Word of God having both law and gospel, two points, two edges that can cut. Um, and so we see that uh, that idea there. And I think that, uh, you know, beyond that, it is important that we speak the truth um, in terms of law and gospel when we speak to one another. Now, the law is done out of a loving and caring way, which I think is the part where maybe sometimes we struggle. We like to say, oh, you people, you're a bunch of sinners with Without actually caring about them, we do it to separate ourselves, to build ourselves up, and to uh, put them down. I think, uh, again, as we're working our way through the commandments, we had the Eighth Commandment, we had the Fifth Commandment, we had the Seventh Commandment. Now, again, we have the Eighth Commandment. Um, the Seventh Commandment is always broken when we break the Ninth and Tenth Commandments. So we have a, uh, uh, a really encompassing mosaic of how a Christian in this new life that they've been given by Christ lives according to God's holy law, lives according to God's moral law. We've got three verses left in our section, Ephesians 4, 25 to 32, equipping the saints. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're examining the new life that God has given us by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 4. Specifically in this episode 4, we've been looking at Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. Uh, Vicar, we have three verses left here. You want to read verses 30, 31, and 32 so we have them fresh in our minds as we go forward. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Now, uh, when you when you hear those words, the um, uh, verse thirty, the latter half of that, uh, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, immediately makes us think back to the beginning verses of Ephesians. You want to read Ephesians one. 13 and 14 for us, Vicar, and uh, so the hearers get that connection, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. A deposit, a guarantee, and seal. Um, Pastor, this sounds an awful lot like baptism talk to me. Is that what we're talking about here? That sounds like baptism talk to me. Um, and that's how Paul does it. Uh, when when he's referencing baptism in Galatians chapter 2, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He gives us many, many wonderful, wonderful word pictures of how God delivers the goods, delivers Good Friday and Easter to us in the waters of holy baptism. And so in verse 30, when it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So you have been baptized. Since you have been baptized, sealed for the day of redemption, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Are we talking about like like making the Holy Spirit sad? He's sad because his favorite team lost the game. Is that the kind of grieving we're talking about here? Well, um, the word that's used here is used uh, many times. I think twenty, let's see, twenty-six times in the New Testament, and in the gospel lessons, it's used in places like the rich man went away grieved because he had much uh, wealth. Uh, it has to do with uh, the way that uh, um, King Herod felt when he had killed Saint John the Baptist because he didn't want to kill him. Uh, it grieved him that that's what the the young girl asked for, and yet he had to do it all the same. And so it has this idea of of actual physical pain as a result of feeling sorrow, uh, I'd say is kind of the way that it's used. Even uh, St. Paul uses this term a lot uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 when he talks about uh, painful visit. Uh, I didn't want to come make another painful visit. If I caused you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one with whom I have pained? Uh, and so just in those few verses in the chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, he uses this particular word over and over and over again. And I think that's the idea is that God desires all people to be saved. He wants you to trust in him. He's given you this great gift in the waters of baptism, and uh, he is visibly hurt when you uh, act against what he has given you in baptism. And I think we need to keep that in mind and then also take that seriously. You know, if you do something that hurts your wife, Pastor Poppy, and you find out from her that that thing had hurt her, uh, in the future you seek not to do that thing. And I think that there's an idea in the Christian life that can uh, echo that as well. Because if I intentionally do things that would hurt her, would indicate that my love for her has grown cold or is completely dead. And I think that's what we're, what we're getting at here. In uh, uh, Isaiah 63, verse 10, which is... Uh, referenced in Acts 7, verse 51. Israel likewise rebelled against the God who redeemed them and grieved his Holy Spirit when they turned away from their salvation. And I think that's the kind of grieving we're talking about here. Uh, intentional sin that can cause the Holy Spirit to flee from us, grieving the Holy Spirit and losing our faith. I think the same idea before the uh, the flood when God looks at all the people and the wickedness in their hearts uh, and it says that he was sorry that he had made man. It's not that like, man, I should have never done that. I, that was a big boneheaded move. It's that when he sees them physically and visibly, spiritually turning their backs on him, uh, it does hurt God.
the uh, uh, winger on page 529 says, to engage in the evil deeds and words against which Paul warns in these verses does not offend the spirit in the same way that foul language offends sensitive ears. The spirit is grieved because these deeds and words ultimately imply a rejection of him. And we're talking about the slippery slope to losing our faith. Yeah, I think about, um, you know, often uh, in the scriptures, um, God uses the image of husband and wife to talk about the relationship between him and the church. We're going to see that uh, same thing here in the next chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians 5. Uh, I think that that picture of a spouse hurting a, another spouse uh, is that very idea that this grieving is talking about. Paul is very fond of lists. We have many lists in his letters, his epistles, and we get one of these lists now in uh, verses thir- verse 31 especially, but in verse 31 and 32 read together. Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you. Again, put off the old, put on the new, along with all malice. So we've got these six things here that uh, Paul gives us in this list that we shouldn't do. And then the flip side of the coin, verse 32, what we should do now that we have put on Christ, is be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, and then the reason or the motivation or the power, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's talk about the list of sins, that sixfold list that we have here in verse 31, Pastor. Is there anything specifically that jumps out at you? Well, I think, um, you know, all these words are um, kind of self-explanatory in what they're describing. But I think, again, here, um, artheto is the verb be put away from you or taken away from you. And again, here, I think this is the gospel because it is in a passive voice. Uh, Maybe I'm emphasizing the passive voice way too much here, but the idea of the passive voice is someone else is doing the doing to you. And so when it says that uh, all these things are being put away from you, we can see that it is God that is doing that, uh, and I think that that's really an important key thing. The uh, the, the it, negative cross, yes. the The negative things that have been coming out here, um, you know, we, we know their sins. We we know when they exist in our life. We know that they are contrary to the gospel. The flip side, again. Paul teaches us in Romans 7, the good that I know that I should do, I don't do. The evil that I shouldn't do, I keep right on doing it. Uh, Who can save this miserable wretch that I am? Well, thanks be to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. To be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. These things do not come naturally, but they show the progression that God works in the life of a Christian, from goodness to compassion to forgiveness. And this is how God is maturing us or growing us in the faith. That word uh, uh, tender-hearted, is that the compassion word there, Pastor? Uh, Let's see. 
The word tenderhearted there. I want to say that that's the uh, splunknitzomai or something like that word. Verse 32, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. That's how the ESV reads it. It, it is. In fact, it's a little different uh, in the sense that it is oisblagnoi, uh, uh, which puts the, uh, the, what do you call that part, the thing on the front, the prefix. The prefix oi uh, on the front of it, which means good. It's the same uh, that's in front of uh, evangel, evangelize is mm-hmm. a good news. Uh, that same good is put on the front of this, so it is a good moving of your guts. And uh, that word is almost always used in reference to Christ and how God has compassion on us. And so when it's a reference to us having compassion to others, it kind of catches our attention as well because the only way we can have true compassion on others to be truly tender-hearted is if we first have received that compassion, that tender-hearted love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Um, As God in Christ, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know, sometimes people stumble with the Lord's Prayer, Pastor. Uh, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Does God forgive us because we forgive others. How are we? How are we to understand that that section in how Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer in light of these words right here, Ephesians four thirty two. Well, it's interesting uh, that you asked about it in terms of Lord's Prayer because in the Lord's Prayer, I think it uses the word "afiemi," um, uh, if I remember correctly, forgive, loose, sort of like that. Where this word is uh, not the same word; it is "karizo." Uh, Karizamino, uh, sorry, karizomai, there we go. Uh, and so it is giving, uh, gracing maybe would be a way to say it, gracing it. It is that root karis, uh, which means grace. And so you're being graceful uh, as Christ has been graceful to you. And that's kind of just a little bit different sense than just simply forgiving one another's sins. Uh, it is uh, the entire package when we use that word grace. So the only way I can forgive one another, truly, true forgiveness, I mean, I can reconcile as a pagan with other pagans and all that kind of stuff, but the only way to truly forgive is when that forgiveness flows from Jesus. Can I say it this way, Pastor? To be Christ-like in our Christian walk is to be forgiven and forgiving. Can I say it that way? Yeah, I, and and I think there's more, you know, even than that. I think that, that it's bigger than even that. So that's the, the challenge that Paul's facing that we're trying to get across here as well. The, uh, the, the forgiving attitude, the forgiving nature should mark us as a Christian. We should be quick to forgive, and uh, that is not what my old Adam wants. To give what's not deserved. I think that's the the word here with the grace, the karizomai, to give what's not deserved. And uh, we oftentimes want people to have to earn their forgiveness, and uh, um, that's not how God has treated us. Sadly, we got to bring this to a close. Equipping the Saints, Episode 4, Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. 
We'll be back again very soon, and we're going to keep right on working our way through Ephesians beginning in chapter 5. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.